sometimes you go to um, a doctor and um, they give you a news that you don't want to hear. They, they tell you something that doesn't make you smile. And I believe that none of us, after you hear that news, you say to the doctor, you know what? I don't pay you to tell me what's wrong with me. I don't pay you good bucks in order for you to tell me that I've got this bad and the other one bad. I want you to tell me what's good about me. Do we do that with the doctors? And you know, sometimes we come to church and sometimes we just need to hear something that doesn't put a smile on our face. Sometimes we need to hear something that will help us reassess our lives. And that's why this morning I'd like us to look at the moral collapse that may be in my own uh, life, it may, it may be in the church, but it's for sure happening in the Western world and with certainty it's happening in Australia. From skyrocketing divorce rates to an excessive concern with self and consumerism, morality is collapsing in Australia. Look at this uh, article. It's an older one from 2015, ABC News, and it says Australians predict will become more competent. Is that great? That's amazing. That's good. But look what's next. Because we'll become more competent, we'll become less Less moral as economy progresses, study finds. Now, bear in mind, according to the surveys from 2016, so 2016, Australia has a new faith. According to 2016 uh, surveys, Australia has a new faith, and this new faith is called, are you ready for it? It's called no religion. 30% of Australians have ticked the box that said no religion. And to put this into perspective, in, 19, in uh, 1972, one in three Australians were going to church. 1972, one in three Australians were going to church. Today, we have one in six Australians, which highlights the challenge of what it takes, what it means to actually share the gospel and in our context, as a seven-day Adventist movement, what it means to share the three angels' messages of Revelation 14. We are no longer working with people that may not have a, a, a deep and profound understanding of the Bible. We have people that have no knowledge whatsoever. So sometimes when you, when you get up before people and you try to present things that we presented in the past, they no longer relate to that because the Bible knowledge is close to zero. In, in uh, 1966, 88% of Australians identify themselves as Christians. Just keep that in mind. 88% of Australians identify themselves as Christians. Today, we have only 52%. It's great. It's still good. But what I'm, what I'm gathering from all these statistics... And I look at the morality in our, in our country, an amazing country. It looks like we are you know, making a major effort to put God or to push Him out of our world, to push Him out of our society. Look, for example, at the Dark Mofo. I'm not sure how many of you have heard of Dark Mofo. It's a winter festival that started in Tasmania. In 2016, which was two years ago, they had an attendance of 297,000 people. 
this winter festival that took place in Tasmania. So what happens during this festival? Well, they are singing hymns. Isn't that good? We love hymns. But here's the difference. They are singing hymns to the dead. They have occult performances. Paganism and hedonism are highly valued and appreciated, while Christian values on which the society once built are now pushed aside. 2016 had a great number, but 2017 had a new record. 427,000 people attended that winter festival with uh, people singing hymns to the dead, occult practices, where paganism and hedonism were highly valid, appreciated, and promoted. Keep in mind, population of Australia, uh, sorry, population of Tasmania is about half a mil. At the bottom of this article, it said a petition signed by more than 21,000 people failed to stop the show in which performers interacted with the carcass of a bull and 500 liters of blood. This is the society in which we are living, and this is the society in which we are called to proclaim the three angels' messages, in which we are called to proclaim the everlasting gospel, the message about Jesus Christ. We are experiencing a moral collapse where God is being pushed out of our societies. So why am I sharing this? Because we are experiencing this uh, you know, decline of, of morals in our society to the point where governments of the world remove important guidelines to build and sustain a strong society. Not only that, but we also, as we gather these things and we look around our world, we see a fulfillment of the words of Jesus that comes straight from Gospel of Luke chapter 17. And if you have your Bibles or smart gadgets, I'd invite you to follow me as I read from Gospel of Luke chapter 17, verses 26 to 27, as we begin our journey through this Bible study this morning, understanding the moral collapse, how can we survive it, how should we react to the things that are happening around us. Gospel of Luke chapter 17, verses 26 and 27. And it says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. And he goes on saying, how was life back then? They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. What's interesting about this passage, it doesn't list the sins of the people. It basically says, people back then just went on with life as if there is no God. There is nothing wrong in eating. There is nothing wrong in, in getting married. There is nothing wrong in living your life. But what is wrong is God was absent. They had no time to pay attention to the decline of morals in their society. They had no time to listen to Noah and his warning. They had no time to ponder the fact that there might be a creator God who will bring everything to an end. What Jesus is saying here is crucial and actually demands our attention. Jesus is making a parallel between the days of Noah and our days. And in other words, he's saying this, people at the end of time will live lives that will reflect the lives of those that were destroyed by the flood. A society in which God was being pushed out because we want to do life our own way. 
So what was so terrible about this society in the days of Noah that was destroyed by the flood? What was so terrible about them? We don't have much information, but I've got, we've got a number of verses in Genesis chapter 6. I've got the verses on the screen to save time. And I'll share with you, first of all, Genesis 6 verse 3, which in, in my opinion, in my, in my mind, this creates the foundation for the rest of our discussion. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. What God is saying here to Noah is this, the Holy Spirit is the one that convicts you of sin. It is the Holy Spirit that makes you uncomfortable when you go away from God. It is the Holy Spirit, the one that draws you back into a relationship with God. It is the Holy Spirit, the one that convicts you of gossip. He's the one that convicts you of adultery. He's the one that convicts you of homosexuality. He's the one that convicts you of many crimes. He's the one that convicts you of cheating. And the Spirit of God is convicting you day after day after day, year after year after year, decade after decade. The Spirit of God is persisting on your heart and is inviting you into a closer relationship with Him. But God is saying the Spirit of God will not fight with you forever because there comes a time when a decision is being sealed for eternity. And the reason why God is using, where Jesus is using the story of Noah and the destruction through the flood is because there came a time when God had to put an end to that generation. And as we look at the other verse in Genesis 6, I think it's verse 5, and it said, The Lord observed, so he looked at his creation, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw, and the next word is very important, he saw that everything, and you know, everything actually means everything. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? Everything means everything. He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. That was the description of the generation that was destroyed through a worldwide flood. Because everything they did was wicked. There was great wickedness. Every thought was evil. God was convicting them, but they refused to respond to their conviction. As I said, we don't have many details from the time of the flood. However, I came across this, uh, this information that is based on ancient Jewish sources and provides some insight to the lifestyle or to the life that was back then. And I know this can be a bit confronting, but sometimes we need to hear things that don't bring a smile on our face. Sometimes we need to hear things that may not be politically correct. Because my friends, the church of Christ was never called to be politically correct. The church of Christ was always called to be true to the word of God. So we know there was a lot of wickedness. Every thought, everything was evil. Janet, Janet Porter, in How Same-Sex Marriage Points to the End of the World, she makes this statement. The one time in history when homosexual marriage was practiced, we're not talking about homosexuality as an act, but the marriage being endorsed and accepted within the society was during the days of Noah. 
And according to Sadnover, that's what the Babylonian Talmud, which is the oral, the Jewish oral tradition, Jewish oral tradition, that's what the Babylonian Talmud attributes as the final straw that led to the flood. And as we look at the society in which we are living, we can see that we are moving further and further away from the Bible, from the God, and we're trying to do things in our own way, and we realize all of a sudden, if we take the time to stop, we are living the days of Noah, where morality is collapsing around us. The thing is, how do we react to the things like this? More than 200 years ago, in 1787, Edward Gibbon, some of you might know him, or know of him, Edward Gibbon wrote a book called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. I love his hairstyle. I'm, I just hope it will come back one day before I lose my hair. So Edward Gibbon, more than 200 years ago, he spent 20 years. How many years? 20 years studying the Roman Empire. Because his question was, how on earth was possible for an empire so great, so majestic, so, uh, so powerful to all of a sudden collapse and disappear? How is it possible for an empire that lasted for hundreds and hundreds of years to all of a sudden just disappear and go and come to an end? And he came up with five major points that he believes Edward Gibbon led to the undoing of this empire. And as we look at these points, very briefly, because we don't have time, as we look at these points, that it's impossible not to consider our society, especially Western society. He said point number one that led to the undoing of this empire was this, the rapid increase of divorce with the undermining of the sanctity of the home, which is the basis of society. Do we see that happening in the Western world, including Australia? That the idea of marriage and home, a lifelong commitment, is not as powerful as it used to be, not as valid, not as appreciated, not expected anymore. And he said that led to the undoing of the Roman Empire, and that will lead to the undoing of this society. Point number two. He said there will be higher and higher taxes, the spending of public money on bread and circuses. People were unhappy. They revolted against the leadership of the nation back then in the Roman Empire. Point number three, the mad craze for pleasure. And that's what we're experiencing today. It doesn't matter if you have a lot or if you have a little. We have this craze for pleasure. It's about self. It's about consumerism. It's about myself. It's just about me. Sports becoming every year more exciting and more brutal. Remember, this was written 200 years ago. Anal analysis on the Roman Empire, its fall and decline. Number four, the building of a gigantic armies to fight external enemies when the most deadly enemy, the decadence of the people, lay within. And right there you have it, the moral collapse within the society that led to the undoing of the Roman Empire. And lastly, Edward Gibbon observes, number five, the decay of religion. Faith was fading into a mere form, losing touch with life and becoming important to guidage. 
There was a time in Australia when 88% of people were identified themselves as Christians. There was a time in Australia and one in three people were going to the church. But that time is gone. Because we've got a new religion. And the religion is called no religion. This is the society in which we're living, my friends. In which we are called to live our faith. In which we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. This is the society in which we are called to stay close to Jesus. So we don't lose our faith in Him. And Jesus continues in the Gospel of Luke in verses 28 and 30. Because He doesn't stop just talking about Noah and his days. In verse 28 to 30 it says, Likewise, and it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day the Lord went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Talking about the end of the world, the society at the end of time, Jesus is using only two examples. Noah and the flood, and he's using Lot and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what these, two, what these two stories have in common was this. Both in Noah's days and in Lot's days, there was great wickedness. In both stories, people went ahead living their lives as if there is no God. And in both stories, destruction came from a creator God in which they chose not to believe. In an article entitled Gay Marriage, the author and attorney Scott Lively makes this comment. Fifty years ago, homosexuality was illegal throughout the entire world. Do you understand the, the meaning of, of, of that statement? It was illegal throughout the world, except Sweden, which had decriminalized sodomy in 1938. In space of just half a century, this tiny 1-3% to of the population have made themselves a global political power with greater influence in the courtrooms and legislators of the world than the other church of Jesus Christ. This astonishing transformation surpasses that of Darwinism, Marxism, and even Islam in its speed and breadth of reach. This is the society in which we're living. Because Jesus said there'll be the days, like in the days of Noah, it'll be like in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. When the principles of God not, long, not only will be pushed aside, but they will be embraced. There'll be a time when church will be forced to be politically correct, no longer correct to the Word of God. We're experiencing a moral collapse. The question is, how is my faith in God doing in these times like this? The world in which we are living is experiencing this collapse, and we do not have to accept, adopt, or promote its practices. The Bible tells us that we have to embrace every sin. Homosexuality is just a sin like the sin of gossip, like the sin of adultery, like the sin of, I don't know, lying. It's a sin, but it has to be called a sin. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of God will not strive with humanity forever. 
But in order for us to receive forgiveness, we need to confess our sins. Just because society is okay with adultery, just because society is okay with cohabitation, just because society is prepared for teenagers to have sexual relationships, doesn't make it right, my friends. Just because society promotes things, safe school, education, doesn't make it right. The dangers that we might be facing is that we have gradually moved from a thus says the Lord to a thus says the world. And in the midst of this moral collapse, God is calling us to reassess our lives. To reassess on which ground do we stand. In the light of this moral collapse, Jesus left a warning and we're going to finish with this. And the warning is one of the shortest, it's not the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, verse 32. In light of what happened in the days of Noah and destruction, in light of what happened in the days of Lot with Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by fire from above, Jesus leaves this message and he says, remember Lot's wife. This was like one of the most dramatic sermon illustrations that Jesus ever used in his messages. Out of all the women of the Old Testament, Jesus singles out Lot's wife. And this is the only instance when this lady is named in the Bible. Sorry, in the New Testament, I should have said. This is the only instance in the New Testament, and it's in Luke. And Jesus uses her life as an illustration. And basically, Jesus is saying in the midst of this moral collapse, as you can can see the world crushing and pushing the idea of God out of its face, Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. Lot, I'm going to call her Mrs. Lot. Mrs. Lot lived in Sodom together with her husband and children. The society of Sodom was perverted, was shameless, was degenerated, entirely sex-perverted. And this was the problem because Mrs. Lot not only moved into the heart of Sodom, she allowed Sodom to move right into her heart. And the reason I believe why Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife, is he wants us to ask this question Have we allowed this immoral society with all its sinful actions to move into our hearts? Have we allowed the principles of this world to redefine our principles? Have we received new glasses for which we look at the world? The things that sometimes we consider to be wrong, they are no longer wrong because we've got new glasses and they've been offered to us by the world. Remember Lord's wife. Why? Because before the destruction of Sodom, God's angel told Lot and his family to run out of the city, run to the mountains, run and don't look back. But as you read the story in Genesis, you discover that Mrs. Lot and her family were still lingering. They were not excited about leaving Sodom. And if you read carefully the Bible, it says the angels had to drag them out of the city. They pushed them out of the destruction. With death at her heels, Mrs. Lot was lingering. Why? Because she ended up loving the things of the world more than loving God. Not only she moved into Sodom, 
but Sodom moved into her heart. And with death at her heels, she was not willing to go. Why did Jesus say, remember Lot's wife? Because Jesus knew that many other people would be just as attached to material things as Mrs. Lot was. That we will love self, that we will be surrounded by this new faith called consumerism. That we will linger and we will look at this with longing eyes, desiring more the things of this world than desiring the presence of Jesus. Remember, Lord's wife tells us that people cannot live a double life. You cannot live in two worlds. Those that are trying to live in two places at once, they're only fooling themselves. Remember Lot's wife. It is a call to a great awakening. That while the society may experience a moral collapse, we do not have to go through that. Because we do not have to listen to what thus says the the world. We rather have to listen to what thus says the Lord. And just as the angels pleaded with Lot and his family to make a total surrender, the Holy Spirit is pleading with you and me today to make a complete surrender. Whatever that weakness may be, whatever that sin may be, whatever burden that may be. Time after time, year after year, decade after decade, the Holy Spirit has been fighting and impressing our hearts and making us aware And desiring to give it all to Jesus. To submit, to consecrate, to allow Him to have full control. Just because society calls it right, it doesn't make it right before God, my friends. And just as the angels pleaded with Lot and his family to leave the city and make that complete surrender, the Holy Spirit is pleading with you to make a complete surrender. To hold nothing back. To no longer linger, but rather submit, ask And have that experience with Jesus Christ that He have always wanted and He has always wanted for you to have with Him. Because Jesus is right here with us. We have worshipped Him through song and through prayer by listening to the words of the Bible. And He's here to deliver, to forgive, to clothe, to encourage, to embrace you and to lead you. Because as we are living in the days of Noah, as we are living in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, He wants you to remain a child of God until the end. So my friend, in the midst of this moral collapse, I pray that you will let your faith and hope be built on nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That you'll be able to say at the end of time, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean On Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. My friend, as we sing this last hymn, Christ, the solid rock, I pray that you will use this opportunity to allow Christ 
forgive you, remodel you, empower you so you can live your life in such a way that God will be glorified in you and through you. Amen.